special edition of our show, Her Story on the Rocks. On a typical day, my co-host and I, Katie, would be sitting around talking about famous women from history, but sometimes we like to talk to women who are making history and then writing about it. So we have a special guest here with us today, Lynn Woodward. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you because I've been looking you up and reading your things and this is so fun. So Lynn, from what I understand, is an off-road rally driver, a journalist, a screenwriter. She writes and hosts videos about cars, is a mechanic to her own vehicles, and has special superpowers of parallel parking and folding fitted sheets. Wow, yes, you know a lot about me. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yes, that's me in a nutshell. It's been nice talking to you. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, I, uh, I am a writer and um, I, it's interesting because I kind of fell into automotive journalist quite by accident, which, um, which, which was such a lovely gift and surprise. I started out as a screenwriter and um, you know, Hollywood's a really tough business and it can be really hit or miss. And I had, had, written a bunch of screenplays and had them produced. And then all of a sudden I was like, ha, hello, is anybody still out there? And so I got a freelance job. I had worked in advertising before um, becoming a professional writer and I was just doing some freelance project uh, management work. And I worked for a company called the Enthusiast Network. And they happened to be the publisher of Motor Trend Magazine, Automobile Magazine, Truck Trend Magazine, four-wheeler, like just all kinds of automotive magazines. And ever since I was a kid, I've absolutely loved cars. I've loved driving. Um, I just never had anybody to talk about it with because none of my friends cared at all in the way that I did. And um, all of a sudden, this whole new world opened up to me. And somebody asked me one time that they thought, well, would you ever be interested in writing about cars? And I thought, oh, you could do that for a living? Like, yes. Like how, this is crazy. And it just, boom. I mean, it was probably six years ago now that the whole, this whole new world just completely opened up to me and, um, there aren't many women in it. So I think that was sort of a stroke of luck for me that, um, that people were really open to having another uh, female voice in the, in the, the business. And it's just sort of, I guess it's just sort of snowballed from there. So I mean, it's incredible. I was looking you up and I was like, this girl is so cool. (laughs) That's really nice. I feel like I'm surrounded by women who are way cooler than me, which is awesome because they give me something to aspire to. But um, yeah, I've participated in in an event called the Rebel Rally, which is an off-road map and compass navigation rally that just happens to be for women. It's the longest um, map and compass navigation rally in the United States. And um, some of the women that I've met there are formidable. I mean, you're just like, whoa, these ladies are just, ah, they're amazing. And they really do, um, they really do sort of encourage you to rise to the occasion. So there, it's been a great opportunity and I love being outside. I love camping. I love um, driving off road and it just is sort of translated in such a great way Um so yeah, it was kind of a natural, just a natural place for me to fit into. 
That's so, so very cool. That friendly female competition is literally the best thing ever. Honestly, when you find it, hang on to it, you know, because there is nobody who can support you and lift you up like a fellow um, woman who's just your, your biggest fan. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's like nothing else. That's awesome. So as our listeners know, we are professional drinkers on this show. However, they also know that on our Friday interviews, uh, it's early in the day, so I don't like to get drunk that early, <laughs> but we do. I mean, it's five o'clock somewhere, Allie. <laughs> That's true. I should get on it. I should get on it. Um, but we do obviously make cocktails for everything that we read and do. So I made a cocktail for you, which I'll send you the recipe and post pictures and everything. It's called an Alice Rum Ramsey in Yonderland. And oh my gosh, that's awesome. It is an ounce and three-fourths of rum, a fourth an ounce of bourbon, a fourth of an ounce of lime juice, a fourth a teaspoon of sugar, and a dash of bitters. Yes. Oh my gosh, that sounds so perfect for her too, because I think that um, anybody who was willing to, to undertake something that she did has got to be, there's just got to be a little bit of like zest in there, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I was reading what you wrote and was like, okay, this girl needs some dark liquor, at least two of them. There's got to be bitters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what she did. In 1909, Alice becomes the first woman to drive across America. Can you paint a picture what kind of life was like for her as a woman in the driving world? Sure. Um, so, I mean, at that point, there probably were only about 200,000, you know, cars in the United States. So driving was not a, uh, driving was not a normal thing. It definitely was, this was sort of before Ford came out with the Model T, which was the car for everybody. Um, so driving was definitely a pursuit of people with money. Um, so Alice was a, um, was a bit of a society woman and her husband at the time, um, was, he was a lawyer. He actually, I think at one point went into Congress or was in politics as well, but at the time he was a lawyer, he was a little bit older than her. So she was 22 years old, but initially the reason why she first got a car was because she was riding a horse and buggy around and, um, drive a car drove by the horse the horse got spooked which was quite normal actually at the time and um she almost she got in an accident she was unhurt but uh her husband just thought well you know what a car is probably going to be a little safer and so he bought her a two-seater maxwell it was called a runabout um this cute little red two-door i I would consider it a sports car at this point um but yeah, he bought her that and really, I mean, without maybe even knowing it, kind of unleashed this whole um, this whole thing for her. But yeah, you know, women, I think there were some women who were who were daring at the time. I mean, you have to remember women still were not able to vote um, at this point. So the, the vote would have come in probably, I would say, like 11 years later. Um we just celebrated the hundred the hundredth year anniversary of that federal law being ratified in the United States last year. So it's you know there was there was definitely a lot of work to be done where women were concerned. But I do think that for those of 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 the women who had especially supportive husbands and families behind them, 
there were definitely opportunities and Alice was one of those that, that really um, took advantage of, of hers. So he did support her after like buying her this car or did he like regret his decision? Oh no, he hundred percent supported her because it was actually quite a little bit of time from her, the the first purchase of her car. She took to it right away. She was um, a naturally skilled driver, which in those days you have to remember all the luxuries that we have now. We have power assisted steering, power assisted brakes, we don't have to crank an engine up to get it going. Um, we had, you know, these cars were very heavy, were very physical um, things to drive, very difficult to drive. There were no side mirrors. There were no, there were all of these like sort of safety features that we have, comfortable seats, even something like a seatbelt just did not even exist at that point. So these were very, um, basic, you know, very, very basic machines, but she took to it right away. Um, I think right out of the gate, she put probably 6,000 miles on her car, just sort of around the, you know, around her, her neighborhood, you know, in the back roads of, she lived on the East coast and the back roads, which would probably now be, you know, part of New York or some like huge city, but, um, she became very proficient. And then at the time, um, there were not really as much, I wouldn't call them races, but more reliability trials. So they were really set up to kind of test the, the durability and the reliability of your car. So Maxwell would get involved because they really wanted to prove how great their vehicle was, right? So this can drive 100 miles without any problems. And so so a lot of these um, reliability trials started to crop up, and there were definitely women who participated in Alice just happened to be very, very proficient at, uh, at driving. So to her credit, she kind of got on the map a little bit. I think she was at one point the president of the, the president of the New York um, women's driving club. So she definitely had a presence um, in the, uh, in that, in the space. Yeah. And as I was reading your article, I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm such an idiot. I don't know anything about cars and talking about it taking two people to start a car with like the cranking person and the person inside. And then was she also kind of a mechanic? Did she have to fix this car along the way? Yeah, she did. So um, she was actually approached after one of these reliability trials that I was mentioning, she was approached by um, uh, the head PR guy for Maxwell. He had these amazing, I mean, he was so incredible. I would, I I liken him to the PT Barnum of uh, the automotive PR space back in his day, because he did all kinds of PR stunts for Maxwell. He, um, he once sort of initiated a police chase to show the speed of, of one of their cars. I think he drove, had somebody drive a Maxwell up some the stairs of City Hall just to show how durable it was. And so he had this idea that at, at the time, several men had made the trip across country. And he thought, well, he thought, we can, we can do better than that. And so he approached Alice to drive across country. And she thought, I mean, as audacious as she was at the time, she thought that the suggestion was just, was 
flabbergasting to her. I mean, she was very, very surprised by it. And it was actually one of her sisters-in-law who had to convince her to, to do it. But, um, she did agree to do it. And, um, she told Maxwell, she's like, you guys have to pay for everything. You have to give me a car. And, um, but it was definitely understood that while she would have people and, and some of the, um, some of the the Maxwell dealers along the way, sort of along the route, that she would do a lot of the maintenance herself. And she was very capable. Um, She, of course, you know, knew how to change a tire, which at the time, again, a completely different process than what we have to do now. It's basically like, I would say more like the inner tube of a bicycle tire. So you have to pull out the inner tube, you have to fix the inner tube, you have to stuff it back in. And she said, she had this great quote that she said, pulling it out was like, watching my mother pull out the entrails of a turkey during Thanksgiving dinner. So, it, you know, she, she was definitely unafraid um, uh, and unabashed about her, uh, her skills. And she really needed them because it was definitely a, uh, it was definitely a, an intense um, couple of months. And as a promotional thing, did like did it work? Was America down for all these announcements? Were they following it like tabloid news? Hundred percent, yeah. So she actually had a PR um, a PR guy with her. Um, he was uh, his name was JD, and um, his last name is escaping me because there are so many names in my head. But you know, he was originally an automotive journalist for the Boston Globe, and. Um, he was brought on by Maxwell, uh, even though he was a journalist. There were, uh, let's blur the lines a little bit between journalism and PR, because he really, what he was, what his main function was, was to sort of travel ahead of her a little bit and prep the local press for the story that Maxwell wanted to tell. And so it's funny. I went back and read a lot of the old original newspaper clippings and a lot of the ads that they had, that they put up and a lot of the stories that, that were written were very much pro Maxwell, like, Oh, this car's had no trouble at all, which was of course completely false, but there were no laws that we have now. Like, sorry, you have to actually be like honest about what's happening when you report something. So, so yes, she did have, um, she did have actually quite a um, quite a reception everywhere that she went, and especially cumulatively when she um, when she arrived in San Francisco. There, I mean, Market Street. If you know San Francisco at all, Market Street is this just huge main street that that uh, that heads down to the to the um, to the wharf, and there were just cars that were, I mean, just like a parade of cars that were following her. And I think it was very very unusual again at the time for a woman to be celebrated in that way. And so it was really quite a coup for, for her and for all women. It is. And so Katie and I did a while back an episode on the Van Buren sisters who did this on motorcycles around the World War One era. And they yes. got arrested several times because they were wearing pants. But she presented more feminine, right? Like along the journey. So what troubles did she run into? So, yeah, she was very much a lady. I mean, if you look at the photographs of her, and there are a lot of them, if you go especially to the Detroit, um, I think the Detroit Library has a, a wonderful archive of photos of these women. And they had the big flowery hats on with the sort of the veil tied around the hats. And they all decided that they would wear, um, they all decided on the clothing that they would wear. So they had their their canvas duster, which was a long coat. I would 
I would liken it almost to like a, let's say like a rain, like a long raincoat that you would wear now, but they had these dusters on over their clothes, but they decided that they would wear, you know, like sort of beige or brown um, canvas, like skirts and black, but they had these puffy shouldered mutton chop, you know, blouses on. And um, just so they wouldn't get, you know, the, the, they were, it was in an open car. So they, you know, dust was just kicking up all over the place. But they definitely, um, they definitely were ladies. I mean, they did not, um, they didn't wear trousers. They, they were, they were very ladylike. You know, when, when they did come upon some trouble, which they, uh, which they absolutely did, there were a couple of instances that really stick to my mind of just that sort of female ingenuity. And there was one time when the car was overheating and the radiator had lost all of its water. And so the women took out their little perfume bottles, these cut glass bottles that they had, that they had gotten from Paris. And they emptied them out and they found a puddle and they just filled these bottles and they filled up the radiator. And it, they, you know, took them a bunch of trips to kind of go back and forth. But they, uh, they absolutely, uh, they, they managed to get on their way. There was another, another incident where they had a lot of rain. It was quite unseasonably, um, wet, especially in the Iowa area. It took them 13 days literally to drive across Iowa, which is, as we know, Iowa's not that big. But at one point there was, um, there was just a huge ditch because there was so much water and Alice had no idea how deep it was. And so what she did was she sort of, gathered up her skirts almost like if you would kind of like a loincloth or a diaper like just sort of pulling it up around her she waded into the water with her with her dress on to see how high up the water would go to see if the car was that would actually be able to make the, the trip across this this one ditch and she decided nope too dangerous not gonna risk it so they ended up all having they spent the night in the car um Again, an open car in the middle of nowhere at night, all by themselves. I mean, I don't think I would do that now. <laughs> so to be able to do that back in 1909, I just, I thought was either incredibly brave or you're just like, okay, well, this is just what we have to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, in spite of all of those, uh, all of those sort of hiccups that she came up against, all of the women were, were just absolute troopers. And also, if you look at some of those photographs in the archive, you know, from the time, usually people are very somber looking in these photos. Almost every single picture, all of those women have just the biggest smiles on their faces. And you can really see how much they enjoyed the trip. That's so cool. And for, I mean, I would never spend the night in the middle of Iowa. I watch way too much forensic files to ever. Right. <laughs> <do that. laughs> Um, but you got to do like a little portion of this. And one of the quotes that you said that really stuck with me was this kind of off-roading is the kind you feel in your DNA. And myself as not like, a, I did not take naturally to driving. Um, my mom will tell you, she was like slamming on the brake in the passenger seat <laughs> while she was teaching me. Um, you know, what, what does that feel like for you? Like, being a female driver and like being on the shoulders of these women who came before you. So that to me, that's the really special gift about having done this story for Haggerty. Um, 
You know, Haggerty is a uh, is an insurance company. They insure classic cars. They know classic cars inside and out. And fortunately for their members, they put out one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful, um, magazine every two months. I I wish it was more because it's the content is so great in there. But we were able to not just tell her story but also to track down a car very similar to the one that she drove. So the one that I was able to drive was a 1906 Maxwell. Everything would have been the same about the car except for the engine. So the engine that I, the engine that I drove, it was a two-cylinder. Hers was a four-cylinder. So a couple of years later, it was just a more powerful engine. But being able to actually get behind the wheel actually drive it out on a dirt road. And um, if you if you have a, an opportunity to go and, and read the story, you'll see that um, that me and the, the woman who co-drove with me, we actually dressed up in period clothing because I thought it was a really important aspect of that story. It's all well and good to, you know, be in, you know, clothing that breathes or modern, you know, modern clothing that's comfortable. But these women were, you know, in anything but. And so... To be able to actually go out and and be with a, a customer who who loves loves this car, obviously he's a, he's a Maxwell um, he's a, a Maxwell collector, and that he shared his car with me. I mean, this was like such a generous person. And it's funny, I've done a bunch of stories for Haggerty, and a lot of the members are so keen to let you to let you get into their cars, to let you drive their cars, because it's such a, it's the classic car community is such a, um, a supportive community. It's really fantastic, but it gave me a, a tremendous amount of insight, um, not just reading the facts of her story and then retelling them, but to be able to go and try and recreate a small piece of it was really, really helpful for me. And, um, and really, I think demonstrates just how challenging the task was. Yeah. And did your relationship with Alice change in that day? Like the way you thought about her, the way you felt about her? A hundred percent. I mean, the man who, the man whose car I borrowed, actually, he had before, I think, so at the hundred year anniversary in, um, in 2009, he actually was tasked to build a car that was very similar to the one that Alice would have driven. And a woman who's, um, she lives in San Francisco, she recreated the entire drive. I mean, obviously she did it on paved roads. Um, so it was, it was a very different experience, but he was the one who built the car that she recreated that, that journey in. And he had a, he had a very specific and very, um, and very close relationship with her. And I remember in our safety meeting that morning, he was very, very specific with me and with the rest of the team that we had, the photographer, to really honor Alice and to really try and convey her story and the importance of it. And it really did strike a chord with me. And it really did, it really did throughout the whole day kind of stay with me and just trying to put my mind into her shoes and how that, how that would have felt to not only just be taking on this, this tremendous journey, but to also have, have the weight of all of these other women that, that were going to follow in her footsteps. And she was very specific and said that she did not consider herself a suffragette. 
And it's so interesting because I've, I've come across a lot of women, especially when it comes to automotive women at that time who didn't see themselves as suffragettes and yet did so much for the cause just by their actions. It wasn't their words. It wasn't just the things that they were, that they were talking about or, you know, running around carrying a placard. They were out there doing it. And to me, that's, that spoke volumes more than, than anything else. And, uh, yeah, my, the respect that I gained, I was, I was in the car for four hours. She was in the car for, you know, 59 days. And, uh, yeah, you definitely, you definitely gain a, a new kind of appreciation for, for who she was at 22 years old with a two-year-old at home. And I know that as I'm reading, you know, th- this article's for Haggerty car people and you're a car person, but I could still relate to her. Is that something that you took special care to do in terms of readership? A hundred percent. You know, I think this is one of the hardest kinds of stories to tell when you're talking about sheet metal and you're talking about a car. um, There's, there's just a different approach that you take to it. Um, I think with, with telling this story about Alice I really wanted to try and capture her spirit and capture who she was. Very difficult to do when you don't have someone to interview, you don't have relatives to interview. And so again, that was part of the reason why I wanted to um, kind of try and embody her in some, in some way. Of course, that's, you know, coming from my own point of view, but she was, um, fortunately, she actually wrote a memoir about it. Um, later on in her life, I think when she was, I think in her fifties, she lived to be a very, I think the ripe, the ripe old age of like 96. And uh, so she had a very full, she did have a very full life. And just going back and reading her version of the, uh, of, of the trip was very informative to me because I could hear her voice. I could hear the way that she, the, the way that she sort of retold, um, the story and the journey. So yeah, telling, telling a, a biographical story within the context of the automotive space is definitely very different. But again, I think, you know, when you look at even a movie like Ford versus Ferrari, I, I feel like a movie like that did so well because it really spoke about the characters and what everybody connects with is not a place, a building, a car, it's people. And when you really, when, when you infuse that with the personality, then it becomes universal regardless of whether you love driving or not. Yeah. And I mean, you, you looked into her memoir, you took the drive, you tracked down the car. Was there any other research or places you needed to go to really get all, all of this to put it together for Alice? Newspapers.com is like the most amazing resource of any writer. I highly suggest that you subscribe, but you can actually go back in. And I did this quite a bit. I looked, I, I looked up actual, um, the actual newspaper articles that were written, because again, I, it was important to me to be able to capture the flavor of the time, which of course is very different. You know, people wrote differently. They used different words. They, they, they spoke differently than we do now. And so that was another huge piece of my, um, of my research. And it really, I mean, it, 
those are the great places where you can just find killer quotes because they're right there. It's almost as if you were talking to the person, even though you don't have access to them. Um, so yeah, so that was, those were really the, the main, the main places that I looked and, um, I'm grateful for that resource. I mean, God bless the internet for, it's such a, it's such a double-edged sword, right? But you know, it was really so valuable to have that archive right at your fingertips. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite or least favorite part to write? Cause I can tell you my absolute favorite part of reading this is this bitter guy that painted his house a different color <laughs> to keep the like automobile people from not knowing where to turn. I am fascinated by people who can hold a grudge and I love it. Yeah. I love that part was actually, there were so many places where I literally, when I was reading the story, I laughed out loud because I just thought this is, you can't make this up. Like, right. These people are just, and it's so wonderful because there's so much humanity in, in the story and we're all so flawed and so human. And I just thought, Oh man, this makes, again, this just makes people so relatable. This is like the get off my lawn guy, like back in, in the early 1900s. It's fantastic. So yeah. So, so they used road books. There were no maps back then. There were really no roads back then. I mean, there was nothing like a paved road. It was all dirt. Um, some of it was like this crushed macadam, but it really was very rudimentary. And, you know, so many people were still stuck in the horse and buggy space. And so they had road books and these road books were like, okay, at the, at the mailbox after a mile, turn left. Okay, great. There's the mailbox. I'm turning left. Well, this one gentleman had a, you know, a yellow farmhouse and it was at the yellow farmhouse, you know, turn right. Well, the guy really was not a fan of automobiles. I'm sure did not like the fact that he was being used in the road book. So painted his house a different color just to throw, uh, just to throw automobilists off, <laughs> which again, you're right. What a grumpy old fart, but just, I mean, but I love it because we have those now and it's, it's awesome. But you know, there were a lot of stories like she, she came upon some native Americans who were, you know, trying, she was like terrified. They were on horseback and they, you know, their bows and arrows drawn. And it turns out they were chasing a jackrabbit around her car. Um, there was a, a posse of, of, uh, you know, us marshals who were on also on horseback looking for a, for a murderer, <laughs> all of these things. And there's just these little, these four ladies like, no, nope, we're just driving across country. Oh, well, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you all day. You are such a blast, but where can people find you? Where can they find this article? Where can they find the other stuff you've done? Cause I am sure we have listeners that now want to track you down and oh, also have you teach us how to parallel park. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Listen, the article, you can find that if you, if you get the Haggerty Drivers Club magazine, um, I think you're still, I think you can still actually, you could call them and, and, and order even just a, uh, a, this one issue of the magazine, which by the way, I just have to say this particular issue of the magazine is absolutely extraordinary. There are so many amazing stories and not just mine about really incredible people. Um, so, you know, that's definitely one way to do it. At some point it will be put up on the Haggerty.com uh, website. They, uh, they always put their, um, their feature stories, uh, once they're, once the, the print portion has been out, then the, um, 
the online, the online version of it will go up. You can find me at Lynn, it's L-Y-N, two underscores Woodward on Instagram. And you can also find me if you go to Kelly Blue Book's YouTube channel and you're interested in buying a car and you really don't know what car to get. Um, you can look up all of my videos because I do reviews of brand new cars for people who are in the market. And um, so, yeah, you can head over to our, our YouTube channel there as well. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this Friday morning. You are such a treat. Just made my entire Friday. Oh, that's awesome. Well, listen, I love, I absolutely love talking about cars. So I'm glad that you were interested in the subject. That makes me really happy. And I so appreciate you having me as a guest. Thank you. Wow. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about more things that you write in the future. Yes. Yes. We'll be in touch. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye